Hey there, Parker X listeners. This is Brett Wood coming at you today with another blast from the past episode from early 2020, recorded at the Mid-South Parking and Transportation Conference in Florida, pre-COVID. Today, I'm talking with my really good friend, Gary Means, the Executive Director of the Lexington Parking Authority in Lexington, Kentucky. Topics we'll cover include how he got started in parking, the overall structure of the LexPark program, the importance and varied management structures of today's parking organizations, curb management and evolutions in that realm pre-COVID, and his role as the chair-elect on the IPMI board. Hope you enjoy. This is Brett Wood with Parker X, and today we're sitting with Gary Means, the Executive Director of the Lexington Parking Authority in Lexington, Kentucky. Morning, Gary. Hey, good morning, Brett. Great to be with you. Thanks for joining us on the Parker X Podcast. Excited to chat with you. Um, we'd like to start off the, the podcast with uh, just kind of your origin story, how you got into parking, and, and, and what's your background and got right. you to Lexington. Great. Well, um, again, I'm honored to be with you and get to share a little bit of our story. Um, I did graduate with a degree in parking from the Eastern Kentucky University. Just kidding. <laughs> um, I have a degree in broadcasting, actually, from Eastern Kentucky University. Um, just going back a little further, um, my dad was in the Air Force, so I've lived all over the place. And I guess the one thing that that sort of built into me that I think is applied in, in later in life, and especially in parking, is I adapt to change well. I make friends pretty well. Um, have to figure out how to make things work pretty well, just just from all the changes that happened as we grew up. Um, but following college, I got into some property management type positions, and um, one day I saw an ad in the paper from Central Parking System, uh, an operations manager in downtown Lexington. So um, I applied, got the job, and uh, spent about 12 years with them. Still wasn't even sure that parking was my career. Even 10 to 12 years, I kept thinking, you know, maybe... There's something else out there that I'll do. And then the city of Lexington created a parking authority. And when I applied for that and was selected, that's when I decided, hey, I guess this is what I do for for a career, what I'm good at. Um, So I've been with the parking authority now, um, just coming up on 13 years. So I'm a little over 25 years in the industry now. Nice. And so those 25 years with Central and with the parking authority, they've all been spent in Lexington? I worked in Louisville for a few years okay. as well, so say Kentucky and, and Southern Indiana. You are the, the, the rare bird that was on the operation side that didn't have to like pick up and move right. at the drop of a hat. So, yep. I, yeah. and, and there was the day, and some of our Central Parking alumni will know and remember this, that if you turn down a opportunity, sometimes that didn't, didn't go well for the rest of your career, and I actually turned down two really good opportunities because I didn't want to relocate, cool. so it worked out for me. I'm I turned out, even though I moved around a lot, and I love to see the uh, the world, Kentucky. I'm kind of a Kentucky boy, so it 
it works. Nothing wrong with that, and it's beautiful up there too. So, quick question about your education. So, broadcasting. We, we're talking about like uh, television broadcasting, radio broadcasting, right? What? And so, um, a lot of people when they know, when they see that and they know me, and I've I've been on um, a lot of boards and and you know done a lot of things where I'm maybe in front of people, they think, well, you must have wanted to be an anchor or something, but not really. I was really into the production aspect, so I enjoyed lighting, um, camera shots, camera angles, editing. I was into stuff like that. None of that that I learned is applicable to today's technology because it's all on the old <laughs> stuff. So I was good at that then, but I wouldn't be now. A lot uh, of it's putting the puzzle pieces together, the producing things and making yes. sure everything's in. So a lot of that will apply to right. park, parking operations and right. organizational stuff. So. Well, very cool. So um, I've had the the, the, the uh, honor of working with you in Lexington on some stuff yes. in the past few years, and I must say, y'all have a really well-run organization up there, Thank and uh, it's 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 an interesting organization in in that it's a parking authority. So um, you are a separate entity from the city. You have an elected board. Um, you're also kind of a hybrid organization where the actual parking authority is a pretty small set of employees, mm -hmm. and then and then buoyed by an outside parking operator. Um, has it always been that way? Is that how you constructed it from the beginning, or have you mm -hmm. kind of evolved into that model? Um, yeah, no, thanks for asking about how it came about, because that's something I'm really proud of. Um, we have a great board of directors, and the way our, our organization is established is a mayor appoints and council will um, approve it, that appointment um, to, to our board, and um, these are citizens who most of the time had no um, parking experience at all. But the particular group that's been together for a long time has um, really been forward-thinking, embraced technology. Um, but in the early days, we were starting from scratch. We had no website. Um, the city had been writing tickets still on the old handheld, you know, or handwritten ticket books. And um, it, there was absolutely no technology. Meters were, a lot of them were still the wind-up meters, and some had gone to digital back in the day when you tried to download it on some sort of, PDA device or something that most of the time didn't work, um, but there, you know, it was it's it's wild now that you look back from 12 years. But we had these conversations at the board level. Is it okay for a private company to even place a citation on a vehicle? Shouldn't that be done by the police? Um, so we had to get through a lot of those types of questions early on. But yes, um, we we took we adopted a model where we were going to basically do a turnkey full outsource operation for the operations and the actual parking authority staff is kind of lean and mean like like you said we've got um, three full-time and a part-time analyst in our in our parking authority staff and then outsource everything else and again it's not a huge operation Lexington's not a huge market um, altogether our operator has around 26 27 employees so 32 or so people total when, it, when you add in our staff and when you first started the authority, um, that it was it was all on street at that point, right? So you, you scaled up to off Correct. street, which I also find to be kind of fascinating. You see a lot of cities that they they, they haven't been in the off street parking game, mm -hmm. and and now they're kind of battling with the private sector, mm -hmm. you know, market rates, whatever it may be, to have that that off street parking, and so. Mm -hmm. It came about where the parking authority decided they would get into the off-street business as well. And, and how has that well, influence changed in Lexington? And honestly, some of that came about through mayor changes. Um, so when the vision of creating the parking authority was all things parking should be under one entity. And at the time, um, this is back in 2006, 2007, there were probably five different departments within the city that had their hands in parking. So general services had the, the garages and 
division of revenue collected the citation payments and uh, maintained the meters and police wrote the citations traffic engineering would place where loading zones or meters should go so there's all these different organizations involved so putting it all under one umbrella sounded good um, but there was a mayor that came in right after we took over the on-street piece and they were uncomfortable with um, putting the assets of the garages under our care and it was kind of like well hey there's a lot of value in that well four years goes by and all these garages are in you know starting to get in really bad shape um, and so the next mayor came in and said we need to finish what two mayors back's vision was get all this up underneath one group with a professional um, at the helm and um, so we you know did assessments of the garages and you know came up with there's all these millions of dollars that needs to be done and, and it made it even easier for the city to say oh hey look you guys take those garages because it's you know going to be super expensive to keep them going so that's kind of the way that progression went and really for a small organization it's kind of cool that it came in bits and pieces because it gave us time to really get down into the weeds on policies for on street while you're not dealing with falling concrete right. and things in the garages so we really were able to establish a great base to work from before we took over the garages which needed a ton of work and upgrades very good. Yeah, that that's that's um, that's interesting. So when you first started the parking authority, what was the what was the perception of parking in Lexington? Um, you know, it depends on who you ask. But uh, so what was going on at that time was the police were supposed to be doing enforcement. And of course, police have much higher uh, important um, duties and needs uh, from the community to um, be busy with and so I think they would try to about two days a week assign an officer or two to writing citations so on that end what was going on was people were parking all day and um, they might get a ticket they probably won't so you had the the metered spaces were clogged up mostly with downtown workers you know kind of that same story yeah. if there's no enforcement that's who's going to be there customers say I can't find a place to park downtown you know t 10 years later you'll hear people say it, it, it's so much better since the parking authority came in you can always find a parking space and you know as you know that's not just enforcement it's about rate tweaks and different things that we've done over the years but that was kind of the condition then um, and then the garages were all you know old parks equipment concrete starting to fall literally some of them being propped up by um, supports that's, and that's not it was, good it was yeah really not good um, but I, I sometimes when I say that it sounds like I really put our, our city down but if you think about a council member and people are standing in front of them with all these needs you know it's like well do, do we put in new gates or do we hire a police officer that's right or do we fix that bridge that's getting really dangerous on our, that one road or do we hire new uh, purchase new gates for the garages you know that, that's right yeah so and there, there's so many things that a city and a council and a mayor um, and even citizens of the city have to think about that if we can remove some of these smaller decisions about parking bring them over to the parking authority. It generates revenue that contributes back to these other things and customer service exactly. and the experience in the downtown. Um, but, but it tends to be put to the back burner if mm -hmm. it's not, you know, right. part of the, the true decision-making process. So that, that's fascinating. So to, to think about the authority model a little bit, cause mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated when you, when you think about parking authorities, the first thing that pops into your head is like the, the larger parking authorities in the Northeast, kind mm -hmm. of the big organizations yep. and big kind of standalone monolithic right. organizations. And, and the parking authorities we're seeing nowadays are more like yours mm -hmm. or more like Adam Jones out in Tempe that right. are the smaller hybrid customer focused mm -hmm. type of parking authority. And what, what, what benefit do you see from that type of organization? Well, um, you know, if you just sort of put kind of a, a grid or a matrix together and took a look at 
Um, you know, what are the possibilities when it's kept in-house, a department of the city? And, and we have some good friends in, in the industry that are doing a great job in some cities, but a lot of times their hands are really tied, just like the examples I gave a minute ago about city council trying to, you know, how are you going to allocate funds for certain things? Um, and so there are a few cities out there that do a great job with an internal uh, group that do that. And then, like you said, parking authorities, the history of parking authorities is more up in the Northeast. You know, it's, I think almost every single Pennsylvania town has yeah. a parking authority or something. Um, so, it, it, and as it's gone over the years, you know, a lot of those started in the 40s or whatever. And over the years, I think it's evolved more to be less um, about ordinances and rules and, and, and more governmental uh, in the approach to a little bit more user-friendly. And then all along the way, as this industry has gotten better and moved a little bit away from cash, and then there's been you know, theft issues. So technology does two things. It gives you a lot of auditing options as well as um, better customer service. So I think that sort of um, movement towards better customer service, better auditing, more use of, of data and all of that has managed to work its way into some of these uh, more forward-thinking parking authorities that you're seeing, like you mentioned out west. and. Um, but is it, I'd love to see a heat map sometime about where that where are parking authorities because it would be super red up in the northeast and then you, then it's scattered down and you've got Miami that does a great job um, and us in Louisville kind of here in the middle and then you, like you said Tempe I, I'm not really familiar with how many actual true parking authorities there are like west of the Mississippi or something I feel like they kind of went out of fashion for a little while just right. because because the thought process was that they were not the, 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 the type of organization you wanted, but you're starting to see them come back in vogue mm -hmm. a little bit right. because people see what you and Louisville and Miami are doing and, and the benefit that it's creating. Yep. Um, you know, Louisville, or not Louisville, but Miami is an interesting one. I, I did a little research on them recently, and, and they're a much bigger organization. Certainly. They have a lot of folks, and, yep. and Alex and, and Art and all those, they mm -hmm. do a really great job uh, down there managing that. Uh, but they're also still very tied to the city. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they, yep. they, they submit quite a bit of revenue back to the city. Yep. Um, and my understanding with the Lexington Parking Authority is it's all self-sustaining right. enterprise. You keep everything. Yep. Yeah, and that's a really good point. And sometimes you'll see people set it up as an enterprise, um, truly an enterprise, or sometimes it functions underneath like a downtown organization, um, Ann Arbor, it's under the Downtown mm -hmm. Development Authority, I yep. believe. So there's there's a few different examples of that where you're allowed to be a little bit more of an enterprise. But yes, that's um, um, when in a big city where you're mostly meter oriented and maybe you don't have as many garages to, to support and fund, there can be a serious excess of revenue. Um, expenses are much less in, in a meter operation. Right. So a lot of times when cities know of that, they're they're wanting to glean off the off the top or say, hey, you got to fund our pension, and that's what a lot of our parking right. authorities are, are busy doing. Um, in our case, um, maybe in some ways we are more advanced in our thinking, but then maybe the city might be a little bit um, unaware of the potential. And don't hopefully nobody from Lexington listens to this, but um, we have earmarked our funds to go back to keeping the garages going. So from day one, you know, our par parking authority now is uh, about 13 years old in, in real activity. Uh, we've never needed any money from the city. We've never stood in front of city council and said, hey, we need this. We've not even, um, you know, needed money for the big millions of dollars of, of infrastructure work that we've put on the garages. So it's an example of what can happen when you, when you set up a professional organization that's a little bit more nimble. We're still governmental at, at an arm's reach um, we don't have to pay sales tax, that kind of thing. But we can make decisions that are more business-minded. You know, should we do this or not? 
how's that going to affect the bottom line? And, and that's not always the case when it's more of a city or more embedded in the city. That's right. And, and I don't think enough can be said about, you know, taking that burden of maintenance, upgrades, fixing the parking facilities helps the city. Like, again, mm-hmm. because when you're making the decision between hiring more police staff yep. or upgrading the garage, 10 times out of 10, we're going to hire more police staff because yep. it's, 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 it's customer-driven and, and needed, right? Mm-hmm. Now you've separated that. Right. You're, you're handling that. And y'all do a really good job. I mean, your garages, the transformation you've done over the, the, the time that you've had them under mm-hmm. the parking authority has been really strong. I mean, you've, you've done you. a good job of making them look good, inviting, education, marketing, all those types mm-hmm. of things. And I, that goes a long way for the customer experience, too. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I think that's good. There's other things y'all do. I, I'm always impressed by kind of like the marketing campaigns that y'all are doing with the parking authority and, and spending money that way because education mm-hmm. about the use of the system is critically important um, and, and the customer experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just, you, you, you really can't understate that. An interesting thing about the way our organization has evolved and um, what our place or our footprint in our downtown market is in terms of marketing, early on, all of our marketing was educational. Um, you can't feed the meter. You know, early on, we were saying, hey, uh, we don't want to call these parking enforcement um, PEOs and things like that. So we called them ambassadors. And they're going to be out there to help you find parking or give you instructions on where a good restaurant might be as well. So a lot of that was where we were early on. Here's an interesting sort of transition. Our current marketing um, campaign, so to speak, is um, helping us fill spaces on nights and weekends. So we've kind of evolved to the place where we still, I'm not saying we won't do educational, but now we truly are actually marketing our product. We're saying, hey, we've got well-lit, safe garages, and there's a lot of spaces at night when when things have died down from daytime activity. Um, I think it's a a situation that a lot of uh, folks in an urban environment are dealing with where it's you know, maybe even full, you can't take more business during the day, but then everybody goes home and now it's just night, you know, bars and restaurants and things like that. And you've got a lot of spaces. So we've just shifted our marketing now a little bit to actual true marketing to say, Hey, look what we've got. And it's, it's affordable, safe, well-lit, that kind of thing. Well, it's all about advancing behavior change. Like the, the original education is behavior change around using the system, right? Now the behavior change is let's, let's sprinkle to the places that we need you to be, which then exactly. creates more revenue, which helps support the garages, which helps support the program. So it's, exactly. I mean, virtuous cycle there. Right. So, so really good. Um, you know, as we're talking about organizational models, I, one of the other ones that I've seen that's that's kind of in the in the industry today that a lot of people are talking about, and, and you see like Robert Farron up in Columbus, mm-hmm. kind of thinking about right. this and his districts, is kind of the management district, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, benefit district, management district, where it's still a city-run organization, mm-hmm. but um, the funds are reinvested back into that district. What are your thoughts on, on the management of the benefit district? Um, I think it's it's really whatever comes first. Um, if there's a good business improvement district in place um, and then they want to start to to take on some parking, you know, um, initiatives that works well. In our case, we were ahead of a business improvement district. So we have a, a, what we call a downtown management district. Um, they came along after we were. So we partner. Yeah, know, we work hand in hand. Um, in our ordinances, um, there could even be uh, taxing districts created if, if it came to that, if you wanted to do that for, say, some of the neighborhood improvements, like some of the things that Robert is doing um, to allocate some funds towards specific things. We could do that. It just hasn't come up yet. Um, our residential permit parking program works really well. 
Um, we haven't really got into sort of, I think what might be an, an, a next phase in residential areas is the introduction of paid parking when you can prove that this has worked so well. You, before, <coughs> before a uh, parking permit program was in place, it was say 100% occupied or 80% occupied. Now you've got 60% because we've done such a great right. job with enforcement. So maybe you could sell a few more spaces, put some money back into that neighborhood. I think we're we're evolving to a place where we might start to look at something like that. Yeah, and that's I mean that's where Robert's at. Right. He, you know, he's high 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 intensity short north district exactly. adjacent to a major university. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a lot of similarities we, right we, there. And we've got a lot of that. You yes. do so. Um, well, that's interesting. So, you know, you're obviously keeping busy in Lexington uh, with all the fun things you're doing. And then just, you know, in your free time as a hobby, you're also the, the chair elect of the IPMI board of directors. Um, and you've been heavily involved with IPMI for I don't know, the last 10 years. So sure. um, tell me about, you know, your role as chair elect and, and what's coming up. And so you will be the chair at this year's conference after this year's conference? No. Um, so uh, I am chair-elect for two years, and yeah. that just happened six months ago. Okay. So I'm about a year and a half away from taking over chair. And just sort of the way that when you think about it in terms of conferences goes, um, Romy is now past chair. At the end of the last conference, Dave Honorato took over. That's so, right, yeah. So Dave will be chair in San Antonio, and then we go to Tampa after that. So that'll be his two years. Then we go to Toronto, which I'm super excited to become the chair in a truly international right. setup, I, it is it, especially if you go back to um, my upbringing and, and being a military brat. Uh, we lived overseas, and I just have a, a heart and a, a passion for the fact that IPMI really is international. Yeah. Um, this will be a great opportunity. Not that we don't embrace it. I mean, we have I think thirty something countries that come when we're in the U.S. But to go to Toronto is going to be pretty exciting and a, and a great opportunity to get to take over. Um, so I'm super honored to just be in that role. So. Um, the election to just be on the board when that happens for anyone, um, it's an honor because you're selected of the peers of the membership. And then once you're on the board to receive an office like treasurer or chair elect or chair comes from a vote amongst the board members. And again, extremely honored. I mean, here's this little guy from Lexington, Kentucky that uh, the, the rest of the board saw fit to, um, you know, give me that vote. So. Yeah, I'm super excited. So that'll happen in about a year and a half. As well. You are you're engaged in the board and chair elected a really exciting time for the organization and for the industry. I mean, we are dipping our toes into a lot of different areas mm-hmm. and expanding pretty rapidly. And there's a lot of really smart people that are that are doing some fun things there. W- what excites you the most about what's going on with the industry right now? Right. So, um, again, you kind of talked about the, the window or the era that we're in. And, and, and I know this has been talked about a lot lately, but just adding mobility to the IPMI um, name says a lot about where this organization thinks the industry is going. And I fully embrace that. Um, what is really interesting I like to talk about is um, sometimes if you listen to me talk, you might think that I'm not as progressive thinking in terms of multimodal and transportation. But th- as you know, the reality is there's still a lot of towns that are, haven't put in paid parking yet. They're you know, trying to figure out what kind of meter they want to put in. And then on the other pers- spectrum, end of the spectrum is cities that are pulling out meters and thinking about mobile pay only. Right. But all that's going on, and as an organization, we've got to provide training and support for whatever part of that spectrum you're on, and there's still a lot of um, what you might think old-school sort of setups that need um, education, training, support, the opportunity to go to a a great conference to see what kind of um, hardware and and more so now software um, options are out there. So um, 
there's this sort of current need that still exists and then the future. And so you asked where I, I think the future is going. Um, something that I got to do recently at 25 years in the parking industry, I wrote my first scooter parking citation. <laughs> so, you know, we're all talking a little bit about micro mobility and shared vehicles and things like that. But yep, in Lexington, um, we watched a lot of other cities not do it right and said, we don't want it to look like that. We don't want it to look like that. Um, and uh, I was involved with a task force that helped write the permit that a scooter company would have to apply for and fill out and agree to before they could come into the, the community and, and not with, without going into a lot of the, the weeds. Um, basically, there's a lot of teeth in that permit. If you don't do a lot of things right, you're, you're out. So um, they have to, they can only bring in a certain amount of scooters. They can only add if they average four rides per day. So it's, it's a model that says, hey, if you're successful, we'll let you bring in more, but you know you need to be successful. And then the rebalancing and parking yep. is, is huge. Um, that has to be written correctly, and when it is, um, you know, I, I have written our citation for either staying somewhere you shouldn't be for too long or being parked where you shouldn't be after a warning is $500. Wow, okay. So I, I wrote four for yeah. $500. We actually got paid $2,000. I've never done that before in my life. Uh, hopefully I don't have to do it. You know, it's not really something that we're trying to see as a, as a new revenue source. They just need to behave correctly and, and get their rebalancing act together. And scooters can be, you know, an, a nice add on if controlled correctly. So again, there's, there's models in all of this new, um, shared economy and even in, in the uh, TNC world where certain things don't work well at all and then there's some models where some things work well and that's what we need to promote is some of these things that are working well to help you know other communities be able to um, not have to reinvent the wheel right I, I think it's really interesting I mean to the point that there are cities out there today that are that are you know they're they're not New York City they're right. not Seattle they're not right. San Francisco right uh, one of the things I think we're all doing at IPMI that's really really interesting is beginning to document like what those cities are doing where they stub their toes, yes. the lessons we've learned, right. so that you know, second-tier cities, mid-sized cities, mm -hmm. don't have to go through the growing pains. And exactly. you know, your scooter example is a great example. Like I've I've seen a lot of cities that wrestled with two thousand electric scooters being mm -hmm. dropped on their city, and what do I do with this? Right. And now everybody has a model for that. Mm -hmm. And we just if we keep partnering and working together. I think that's going to be be kind of critical. Mm -hmm. And the scooters are great. I mean, they're they're an equitable. Uh, solution to first and last mile problems and sure. really can help people move around and solve some of the parking challenges that we have if they're done right. right. So kudos for 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 putting that together. Um, you know that's all kind of in the here and now. Right. Are there things about the future of our industry that that scare you or excite you and, and what what could come next? Um, you know it's so interesting how unexpectedly fast changes occur. And when you ask me the question, and I think about this a lot, like what's next, where do we see, in my own sort of simple mind, I have a hard time seeing where, how do we get from where we are to where we're all talking about yeah. we think we're gonna be. Yeah. So an example would be, I really truly believe at some point you're gonna have uh, sensors on curbs that are connected to connected vehicles. If you pull up to the curb, you get a bill. But no matter who you are, no if matter you're who, yeah, a car, UPS, yep, FedEx, a, a DoorDash, TNC, whatever, yeah, exactly. Um, so what I think we have to do, and, and other people are saying that, is you, you start to plan for that with things like um, the more use of LPR or uh, a gateless facility when it makes sense, um, which we've done, and we're learning a lot about that. Um, how to use cameras in an on-street 
to get counts or track plates or be able to possibly send a bill like what already is happening when you go over a bridge or a toll road where a camera, what if the camera model is something that helps bridge this sort of until we get to the sensors that are talking to each other. Um, then you've got to deal with street trees and things that block cameras. So there's just so much that we have to try to work through. But I think early on it's trying to figure out what are the rules of your curb today, um, digitizing that if you can um, to start to plan for um, this demand that's happening at the curb. And we're all talking about curb management. There's this real gap, I think, between what we really are doing now and what could be done in terms of software and connected and in-dash models that are, that are coming with the vehicles. Um, and I don't, I'm not smart enough to see that bridge <laughs> right now and see that gap. I know it's coming. That's where I think we're going. And I think to answer the question today, we should be thinking about what really are the uses of our curb? What are our needs? And some simple things like we're doing in Lexington is creating, um, pick up and drop off areas after hours. So, um, our meters currently we don't enforce after 5 PM. We, we, we are thinking about extending that, but whether we do or we don't, the, uh, you know, the pickup and drop off time for, you know, bars might not start until 10 to 2 a.m. or something like that. Could there be a sign? And we've done that um, on a group of meters where at, at this time it's only pickup and drop off. You can't camp out there. And so the police like that. It also gets that sort of out in the street pickup and drop off that's going on if someone doesn't have a place to pull over and queue. So it's a safety thing, but it's a curb management move that's really kind of, um, it's more old school. It's just signs and enforcement but you have to be thinking outside of that normal meter box or after hour box. Um, and I think there's just a lot of that where you're gonna have uh, multi-uses throughout the day of curb line. That's right, and I, you know, this goes back to the work that you've done at the parking authority, but the education, the behavioral change part of it, we've gotta start shaping the, the expectations of our customers mm -hmm. to meet the vision of what we want the curb, the city, the parking system, the mm -hmm. transportation system to do. And we do that through all of these little incremental changes. And they don't need to know about the technology right. that's going to drive all of right. it, but they do need to know about the purpose and the benefit to them. Yep. And so uh, it's exciting to see us start mm -hmm. doing those things right. as an industry. I agree completely. Yeah. Another little example of, of, of curb management that we're dealing with, um, we have the authority to set up valet zones. Um, and we, so we have a few valet zones in downtown Lexington and I was talking to one of the groups, you know, how are things going? And they hadn't told me this and it, but it makes so much sense. They're at a really nice restaurant and nearby is like a pizza place and in another place. Well, a lot of times these Uber Eats and DoorDashes are whipping into yep. the valet zone because that's the only place they can find to park. And the guys are trying, you know, it's almost like turn into a fight to try to say, no, this is my spot. So we need to think about, well, maybe back a couple more spaces, we create this, you know, pick up and drop off zone there. So it's just things like that, that are starting to happen. We've got to figure out how to sort of tackle it ahead of time. And at some point there'll be a app for that. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and perhaps more partnership between exactly. th those entities, the valet sure. companies and the, and the food deliveries. I mean, we're talking about 15 second transactions or mm -hmm. one minute transactions versus, you know, drop off and, and being right. there for a couple of hours. Certainly there's got to be a way that we can make those things work together exactly. seamlessly at the curb, but right. all the fun things we get exactly. paid to do. So, right. yeah. Well, this has been fascinating. I appreciate your time today. Um, I'm really looking forward to, you know, your, your role as the uh, chair elect and then the chair. I'm also looking forward to Toronto. Uh, That'll be great. Fabulous city. Yep. So a great place for you to take the reins. And, uh, you know, thanks a bunch for doing this today. And, and thanks for everything you're doing for the industry. I really appreciate it. And I've been honored to have this conversation with you. All thanks. right. Thanks, Gary. Take care.
Thank you for listening to the Parker X podcast. We sincerely appreciate it and hope you are enjoying our content. Please remember to rate, review, comment, subscribe, and share. And follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The following has been a production of Parker X.